This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We appreciate you tuning in to watch today. We may have those watching today for the first time, and we may have those watching today that watch every time We come on the air. Thank you so very much for watching today. Now today we're going to continue a series that we have been discussing on things precious. Today we want to talk about precious promises. Precious promises. Please stay tuned. On getting to know your Bible, we offer a Bible course. This is free. And in order that you might know something about the course... And then how to receive the course, we'd like to take a brief pause. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. In the books of 1st and 2nd Peter, the Apostle Peter used the word precious a number of times. One of those times he used the word is in 2nd Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I want you to notice this about verse 4 especially. He says, There are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. We've been given not only promises, he said they're great promises, great promises. Not only have we been given great promises, he says they're exceeding great promises. Not only have we been given exceeding great promises, he says we have been given exceeding great and precious promises. And of course, these would be the promises of God. God makes promises. God keeps promises. Notice over in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack Concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. God makes a promise. God keeps his word. He keeps all of the promises that he's ever made. Have you ever had someone to make a promise to you only to disappoint you? 
I, I rather suspect that all of us have had that kind of an experience. We make promises every day in our lives. When a young man and a young woman pledge their love for one another until death, they are making a promise to each other. They are promising one another that they will be faithful to one another until death shall call them home. We make promises when we go down to the bank and we sign a note if we're buying an automobile, buying a home, whatever. We make a promise that we will pay for that in due time. And so we're, uh, we are making promises every day of our lives. But we need to keep the promises that we make. The Bible says that it's better not to make a promise, that is a vow, than to make a vow and not keep it. That's in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and the first five verses. But God makes promises. He makes promises. And God, who makes promises, doesn't break them. In Titus 1 and 2, the Bible says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. God cannot lie. God keeps His word. He's a God of honesty, integrity, veracity. God keeps His word. You know, the worth of a promise is not any better than the integrity of the person that makes that promise. Here's a person with low integrity. They, they're not very, they're stable. They're not very stable in their lives. And they, they're well known to promise you things and never fulfill those promises. Well, you don't have a lot of confidence in a person like that. You really don't. But God is a God of integrity. God is a God who can, who uh, keeps every promise that he's ever made. In 1 Kings, the 8th chapter, in verse 56, for example, there's not failed one word of all his great promise. Not one word. There's not a single thing God has ever promised that God will not do. And Peter said his promises are precious promises. Precious promises. Now, the word precious simply means it's of importance. It means it's of value. And every promise that God has ever made is valuable to us. Now, that being said, there are some things, there are just some things that God has not ever promised to do. And we need to understand that. That, that, that he just never has promised, for example, to save a person that refused to believe in Jesus. He has not. He's never promised that. As a matter of fact, in John 8, 24, Christ said, If you believe not that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. It's either believe in Jesus or we're going to die in our sins. We'll be lost. You see, God wants us to believe in Jesus. Because he sent him into this world to save mankind and he wants men to believe in him. It breaks my heart to know that there are men and women in this world bringing up their sons and daughters. To, and these men and women that are bringing up their sons and daughters do not believe in Jesus Christ as the only hope of mankind. He is the only hope of the world. 
And so God has never promised to save a person who would not believe in Jesus Christ. Second thing God has never promised, He's never promised to save a person who refused to repent of his or her sins. Now, repentance is a change of mind for the better. It is when we're doing things that are in violation of God's will, we're going in the wrong direction, doing the wrong things, we repent when we change our mind to cease doing those things, and we start going in the right direction, doing the right things. That's going in the right direction, doing the right things, would be the fruit of our repentance. But repentance takes place in the heart and in the mind of man. And it's when we determine within our heart and our mind that we're going to cease breaking the heart of God and repenting, and we repent of our sins. Jesus put it in the imperative. When he said, I tell you, except you repent, you're going to perish. That's found in Luke chapter 13 in verse 3 as well as in verse 5. Men must repent of their sins. And God wants all men everywhere to repent. Second Peter 3, 9, Acts 17, verse 30. God wants the whole world to repent of their sins and turn to Him. He's never promised to save a person who would not give up their sins. God's never promised to save a person who would not be willing to acknowledge Jesus Christ as His blessed Son. Well, as a matter of fact, in Matthew, the 10th chapter, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said, whoever, whoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. It's either confess Jesus as being the Son of the living God, or he's going to deny us before his Father in heaven. It's just that simple. God's never promised to save us if we deny the Lord Jesus Christ, deny Him in our life. And God has never promised to save a person in this age of the world that was accountable for his or her sins who would not be baptized into Christ to have their sins washed away in Jesus' precious blood. He's never promised that. Now, that to the contrary, what some men would say today, some would say, well, all you have to do is just repeat a prayer. All you have to do is, uh, uh, is just uh, have someone to pray over you uh, or to anoint you with some kind of oil. Just come down to the mourner's bench or whatever. But my friend, God has never promised to save a person who would not, as a believer in Jesus, as a penitent believer in Jesus, as a confessing believer in Jesus, be baptized into Christ. Let me give you an example of a man who did just exactly what I said. And this is not a, a, a fictitious story. This is found in the 8th chapter of Acts. Now, Philip had been preaching in Samaria. And he was called to go in, to the chariot side of a man who had been to Jerusalem to wor worship. And he was on his way home to Ethiopia. And Philip came to his chariot side and he saw the man was reading scripture. And it was from the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And he asked him the question, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I let somebody helps me? So he got up in the chariot with the man and he began where this man had been reading. And we're told in Acts 8, 35, he preached unto him Jesus. Jesus. 
And as they went on their way, the man said, here's water, why can't I be baptized? He said, well, you can if you believe. And the man said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip baptized the man from Ethiopia. And and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, why did he go on his way rejoicing? Because now he was saved. Now, he was a Christian. Now, he'd given his life to Christ. Folks, God has never promised to save anyone in this age of the world who refused to be baptized for the remission of their sins. That's, that's what Saul of Tarsus learned in Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now I've heard preachers try to explain that so that it doesn't mean what it says. But I rather think God meant what he said, don't you? I think he meant what he said when, he, when Peter was asked on the day of Pentecost, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So God always has meant what he said, and he's never promised to save a person who refused to be baptized into his son. In Galatians 3, 27, we're told, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. We put Christ on when we're baptized as believers into Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus said, He that believeth one is baptized too, shall be saved, number three. It's just as simple as one, two, three. God has never promised to save a person. Thus, that would not obey his will. God has never promised to save a person that uh, without Jesus' precious blood. The only way that he can save this world is with the blood of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for that purpose. It was taught in the Old Testament as well as as it is taught in the New Testament. For example, in the Old Testament, In that day there shall be a fountain opened, the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. That's found in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, verse number 1. And that fountain that was for sin and uncleanness was opened at Calvary. Jesus shed his blood for the cleansing of the world. Sometimes we sing this song. What can wash away my sins? The answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. God has never promised to save anyone without the blood of our Lord. In Hebrews 9, 22, apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, God keeps his word and God keeps his promises, but God has never promised to bless a covetous person. He never has. He's never promised to bless a person that was covetous and stingy, but God detests that. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. That's in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. So you see, there are certain things that God has never ever promised to do. Let me mention just one other thing. He's never promised to accept the excuses we make. Now, excuse making is is, is an old art. 
It's as old as the Garden of Eden. All through history, people have been making excuses for their failure to serve God as they ought. And during my lifetime as a gospel preacher in well over 50 years, I've heard lots and lots of excuses. I remember being at a place preaching in a revival and I went out to visit someone and encourage them to come. They said, I don't think I'll be able to come because I've got potatoes in the oven. And I remember someone saying, well, I can't come to the service tonight because I've got to go by the vet and visit my sick cat. All kinds of excuses. I've often said when it's hot, it's too hot. When it's cold, it's too cold. When it's wet, it's too wet. When it's dry, it's too dry. Company comes in. We've got to stay home with our company instead of going and worshiping the Lord. You see all kinds of excuses. I don't have anything to wear. I, I, I think they've got hypocrites in the church. I can't go and worship with hypocrites. All kinds of excuses. There's just one thing wrong with all of that. God has never promised to accept one of them. Yeah, somebody, oh, have you thought about being baptized? Yes, but uh, uh, not now because I, I think I need to wait a while. I'm just not ready yet. Well, when are you going to be ready? I just don't know. That's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. Someone said that the excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And we need to realize that never, ever will God accept an excuse for our not doing His will. Just imagine standing before God on the day of judgment. And Jesus Christ, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, is going to be our judge on that occasion. And we say, well, you know, we're asked, well, now, why, why did you not become a Christian? Well, you know, if I'd have been a Christian, I would have been all alone. Nobody else in my family would have been a Christian, Lord. And then the Lord could say, yes, I know what it is to be alone. I was alone at Calvary. Everyone turned their back upon me at Calvary. Even the Father turned his back upon me at Calvary. I know what that's like. Or someone else may say, well, you know, the Lord, the reason I didn't get, serve you and give my life to you is they have people in the church that don't always do right. And he could say, I know what that's like. Because you see, it was one of those that I considered a friend, one of my inner circle that betrayed me for 30 pieces of silver. Folks, God's not going to accept our excuses. He has never. He will not now, nor will He ever accept our excuses. Just imagine trying to argue with God on the day of judgment with, with trying to defend the excuses we have made for not serving Him. And that's when you're going to learn, but it'll be too late to learn it then, that He does not accept our excuses. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say unto me, that in, unto me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works? But I shall profess unto them I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, Jesus said there are going to be people try to argue their case. Argue their case. But they're going to lose. So folks, there are just some things the, the promise-keeping God has never promised. But thankfully, 
There are a host of things that he has promised to do. And he has promised that Jesus Christ will save us and can save us. For example, in John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No one can go to heaven except by the way of the cross. Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Folks, if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is not a time for delay. This is not a time for hesitation. This is not a time for excuse. Give your life to Christ. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Believe on Him. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Him. Be baptized into Him. If you would like to be baptized into Christ, call us, call us, uh, get in contact with us, email us, whatever. Let us know how we can help you. We will arrange for some servant of God to baptize you into Jesus Christ. This happens all of the time to those who are watching getting to know your Bible. You see, God has promised that Jesus will save you, but you must be willing to obey the gospel of Christ. That's one thing God has promised. But God has also promised to bless a liberal person. I hear people talking about prosperity. I hear some preachers even described as being prosperity preachers. Well, I'm not a what you normally would refer to as a prosperity preacher. I just believe in preaching the gospel. And whatever the gospel says is what we need to say today. But I want you to know that the Bible teaches that God blesses people who are liberal with their means. Listen to Jesus in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Now, if that was the only verse in the Bible about giving, I'd believe it. If that was the only verse in the Bible that taught that I ought to give and be liberal in giving, that ought to be enough right there. Jesus said, you want to be blessed? You want me to bless you? You have to take what you have and you need to give it. Someone says, well, what is it that we need to give? Well, what do you need? Do you need love? Give love. Do you need compassion? Why don't you show compassion? You need someone to to be understanding of you? Why don't you try to be understanding of the people? And if you need to be blessed materially, give of what you already have. That's the reason that I encourage every Christian to on the first day of every week to lay by in store and to be liberal in giving to God. Do that on the Lord's day. Give to God and be generous and liberal in giving to God because God will bless you. And I believe that from the top of my head to the soles of my feet for two reasons. Number one, God said so. And number two, I've I've experienced that in my life. God will bless you. And he has promised, he has promised that he will bless you. He's promised that he will bless 
and he will protect you. Listen to Psalms 37 and verse 25. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Someone says, you know, I can't give to the Lord because I just don't know how I would make it. I don't know how I'd get by. I remember a number of years ago when my mother, dad, my younger brother, and I all moved to Mobile, Alabama from Middle Tennessee. And those were some pretty tough days back then. Dad eventually went to work at Brooklyn Field doing civil service work. We had some pretty tough times. And I remember one Sunday morning, Dad said, All I have in my pocket is $2. And he had to make a decision to whether give those $2 and save those $2 to buy maybe some beans for the family or to give them to the Lord. And when the collection plate was passed that Lord's Day morning, he put those $2 bills in the collection plate. That was it. That was all the Lambert family had until he got paid the end of that week. But you know what happened the next day? The very next day, Dad got a check in the mail for $50 from someone that owed him some money, a check that he had not expected. My dad taught me liberal giving, that God will bless you. I have some, no doubt, that are watching right now that are members of the Church of Christ that have never become liberal and generous in your giving to God. I want to challenge you. God has promised you, you give, and I'm going to bless you. But God has also promised that Jesus Christ is coming back someday. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will, I will come again. That's a promise. And one day Jesus will return. He'll come back for his own. God has promises, his precious promises. All oh, we need to stand on the promises of God. I want to thank you for watching today. And in the closing moments, let me give you a very personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also, right now, pick up the phone. Call for the Bible course. Please don't hesitate to do that. Somewhat we will get your name and address. We'll send the course to you as soon as possible. Or you might realize you can take it online. But whatever you do, however you want to take the course, please take it. You will be rich, enriched and blessed indeed. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.